And it is with great pleasure that I would like to introduce our main speaker, Pam. Hi, everybody. I'm Pam, and I'm an alcoholic. And are you guys having a good time? I want to thank the committee, too. Um, I... Uh, Shane called me a couple of five or six weeks ago or something like that. You guys are supposed to have somebody much more spiritual than I am this morning, just so you know. Um, uh, but uh, she couldn't make it, so uh, Shane called me and a couple of pe- he talked to a couple of people and got my number. And it must be God's will. That's all I know, you know. Uh, but I feel like I've been just given the, the best gift ever to get to come here and be a part of this get to participate in in this conference i've had a great time the committee's been very generous and very good to me and um you know this is not what my life was like before i got to alcoholics anonymous these wonderful gifts didn't just come along from nowhere do you know what i'm saying that did not happen to me and the only thing that i can attribute it to is that you know i am a sober member of alcoholics anonymous And um, I do try to do what is outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous because what is outlined in that book is what has saved my life. The only thing that I've been able to do, Alcoholics Anonymous, is the only thing I've stuck with. Only thing I've stuck with. I'm a great starter. You know what I'm saying? Like I find something, I get all excited about it, and I'm all into it. Next thing you know, I'm bored. You know? Forget it. You know what I mean? But Alcoholics Anonymous has been the only, the one single thing that I have not quit on since I got here. Um, um, so I want to thank Shane. I've had a really good time uh, getting to know you and your wife, Shelly. Really appreciated the time that we got to spend together. And I've loved all the speakers. What a gift to get to come and hear all the speakers. And I related to everybody. I was at the old-timers meeting yesterday. Not that I'm an old-timer or anything, but I'm thinking, well, you guys should get one of them guys to be the spiritual breakfast speaker, you know? Um, But I got the part, so I'm going to do it, you know? (laughs) Where's Ray? I got caps in this role, so this is what I'm doing. Um, I want to thank Tommy. Uh, He's my my boyfriend, and uh, he's a gift of the program, too, and... Uh, he he comes with me on these things, and he's heard me, you know, and he's still willing to listen, so I I appreciate that. And a couple of my girls came all the way up from San Diego, uh, Tracy and Liz and Helen. You guys can pay me later. <laughs> if I didn't say their name from the podium, it would have been bad. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But I love those women, you know. No, nowhere uh, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous was I willing to do anything like that for anybody, nor were they willing to do anything like that for me. You know? So I thank you guys, and I love you a bunch. Um, well, I'm originally from Evansville, by God, Indiana. And uh, there is a lot of God going on back there, I want you to know. And... Uh, and uh, I grew up in the country. I grew up on a rural route. We didn't even have a street number or a street name. It was a rural route. And my grandpa was a Baptist preacher. And uh, I'm telling you, there was a lot of God going on. I just want you to know. And uh, my mom was a teetotaler because my grandpa had been a, 
had been a drinker, and then he got saved, and he quit drinking, and he became a minister. And um, so mom was a teetotaler because she didn't like the way grandpa behaved when he drank. And my dad was actually a thirsty fella. And uh, <laughs> and for all you Al-Anons in here, um, my mom at one point said to my dad, she goes, either the drinking goes or I go, and I'm not going. You know? <laughs> and here I am. You know? <laughs> that gives you any kind of idea. So um, I really feel like I came out the shoot with a, 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 an insane head, you know. Um, I just, I, I can remember from a very young age looking at my cousin Sherry and just thinking if I could be her, if I could just be her, then I would be okay. And we didn't look anything alike. She had brown, curly hair, lots of it, big brown eyes, and she was older than me, but she was smaller than I was. And I was, I, I had no hair and uh, blue eyes and really pale. And I just looked at Sherry and I just thought if I could be her, I know I would be okay. And nobody did that to me. You know what I mean? That, that's just the way I roll. And um, uh, and. I agree with Bob, what Bob said, you know, I took a drink at 11, and all of this stuff that was going around and around and around and around in my head my whole life, which was, they don't like me, they don't think I'm very smart, they don't think I'm very pretty, they don't think I'm very funny, and they don't want me around. When I took that drink at 11, all of that shut off. Alcohol did something for me that it doesn't do for other people. There are other people that feel that way, and alcohol doesn't do a gosh darn thing for them. But for me, alcohol turns that all off, and all of a sudden, I can be spontaneous in the moment and have a good time. And that's all I ever really wanted to do. My dad was a guitar playing, joke telling kind of fella, you know what I'm saying? And uh, mom was really overly responsible and angry. With <laughs> With good reason, I want you to know, you know, and I wanted to be like that. I just wanted to have a good time. But, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really have that kind of makeup. You know, I was an overweight kid and insecure and wanted a lot of attention. And people feel you coming when you're like that, you know, and other kids feel you coming when you're like that. And they don't like it, you know, it's, they don't like it. And, so I was not well-liked or popular or any of the things that I was made fun of quite a bit. And, you know, someone less sensitive than me, it wouldn't have mattered to them. But I took it all on. I took it to heart. Like, that's who I am. I'm this fat kid that nobody likes, you know, and I was filled with self-pity. So uh, that's a tough way to go, you know. And so drinking made that quite a bit better for me. I had my first drink at 11. And I had my first blackout at 15. And I joined the Navy at 17. And uh, my first duty station was New Orleans, Louisiana. And I arrived there on New Year's Eve, 1983. And sailors are like alcoholics. They like to bring you into the fold. You know what I'm saying? So they hooked me up in the barracks, and they're like, we're going down to the French Quarter tonight. We're going to party. We're going to have a good time. Come with us. I was in. 
Totally in. Uh, so they were they were talking about uh, drinking hurricanes and eating oysters on the half shell. And, you know, I'm from Evansville. The only seafood I had heard of up until that time was, like, fried catfish. So, uh, so oysters on the half shell didn't really sound like a great idea to me, but I'm here to report if you have a couple of them there, hurricanes, those oysters slide right down, no problem. <laughs> So, you know, um, I was in, and uh, what ended up happening for me is, is I became a bar drinker. I love everything that goes along with drinking in the bars. I always had a best girlfriend, and her and I, we would get together before we went out, and we would have a couple, and we'd start talking about what was going to happen tonight, who was going to be there, who we hoped was going to be there, who we hoped wasn't going to be there, and who knew we might meet that evening. You know, and this was 1983, Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun, and that's what we wanted, you know. And uh, so uh, I heard, is the fella who shared yesterday that went to the enlisted men's club, is he here? No? Is he? There you are. I so related to you yesterday. I was I, sitting next to Tommy like, Tommy. That's what I did. That's what I did. That's what I did. So um, I joined the Navy, and we always went to the enlisted men's club first on base, you know, because you could have a couple of cheapies there, and we'd see if there were any Marines that might want to party with us. And if so, we'd scoop them up. And Thursday, <laughs> uh, and Thursday nights was ladies' night in New Orleans, Louisiana, and so we would go there on Thursday nights. We'd have a couple of cheapies, scoop up some Marines, go out on town, hit a couple of ladies' nights, and we always ended up at the same place. We always ended up at Scratch's Pub. And at Scratch's Pub on ladies' night, you got three free drinks, a red carnation, and a male strip show. And I'm not talking about Chippendales. I'm talking about drunk guys from the bar that want to get up on stage and take their clothes off. That's what I did. And uh, I would party till like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I guess because I was young or something, I don't know what, but I always made it to work on time. I always made it to work by 7 a.m. And, um, and then the girl that was my best drinking buddy happened to also work with me, so we had the next morning what I've now come to term the debriefing, which was, you know, going through the night before, who was there, who wasn't there, who we wish would be there, and what were we going to do the rest of the weekend, you know, and, and so uh, that would be, that was how it all started, you know, and I was having a really good time, but then, you know, I had kind of a snack. And the snag was, you know, if you're a female and you're a bar drinker and you're a blackout drinker, you're what I have come to term popular. And, uh, and I became very popular, which I'd always wanted to be, but this was not exactly what I was thinking of, you know? So um, I, had, I, I quick thought of a solution to the problem. And so I got married, and uh, I, married, uh, I married this Marine, and it come to find out he had just graduated from the Naval Alcohol Rehabilitation Program down in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, he was sentenced to come to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. 
And uh, so I started coming to AA because I don't know what kind of girls you girls are, but I want to know what my fella's up to, you know. And he was going to the, he was going to a lot of those meetings, and I wanted to know what was going on, you know. And uh, and so I started coming to AA with him, and uh, and I started relating to what people were talking about in the rooms about what happened when people started drinking alcohol, and. Um, and he, he would come home uh, after the meetings and he would have a beer or two after going to the, at the time I called it the A&A meeting. And I told him, I said, I don't think you're supposed to drink after you go to them there A&A meetings. And uh, he told me what I think is true, you know. He said, Pam, it's not that I don't want to drink. I just don't want to get in trouble for my drinking. So he would come to the meetings, and then he would just try to have a couple to take the edge off and try to live that way. Well, it didn't work long term for him, and I didn't get sober then, but I knew I was an alcoholic. I just wasn't done drinking yet. So I was 20 then, and um, I kept drinking for, I drank for another seven years after that. And um, I told you how I was brought up. I was brought up with moral and philosophical convictions galore. And for a long time, I didn't want to live up to them because they didn't seem like they were very fun. But at some point, I did want to live up to them, and I couldn't. And, um, <clears throat> and I crossed a bunch of lines that I never thought a girl like me would cross. And uh, I ended up in another 12-step program, and uh, I was supposed to have one glass of wine with dinner is what was supposed to happen. And so uh, I ended up having two glasses of wine with dinner. And then I'm on the phone with the sponsor the next morning. I said, well, I know I said I was only going to have one glass of wine, but I had two. And then by the end of the conversation, I had admitted to her that I had gotten a bottle of wine into those two glasses. And she seemed to think that that was excessive, you know. And um, she asked me if I was an alcoholic. And I said, yes. And uh, I didn't tell you that. Well, I, my mom was always calling my dad an alcoholic, and I was a blackout drinker, and I caused a lot of problems drinking. And when she asked me if I was an alcoholic, I said yes. And what that meant for me, what I did in that moment is I was able to admit the first part of step one, is that I'm powerless over alcohol. Now, I thought I was an alcoholic and a and that my real problem was this and a problem. But she thought I should come to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, so I started coming to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And uh, people have more fun in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings than the other program that I was going to. <laughs> and so I started coming to all the dances and hanging out with people and having fun. And I would introduce myself as an alcoholic because I was an alcoholic, but I never told you guys that I was an ANDA. I just said I was an alcoholic because my secret was the ANDA. And um, so, um, and I thought, here's what I thought. I thought, now I'm going to be good. Now I'm going to be good. And God's going to give me what I want. And I had a list. Of things that I wanted. It's not a great list. It's not like I wanted world peace. You know what I'm saying? It's not like that crossed my mind, you know. I wanted to lose 30 pounds, get a new car, you know, those kinds of things, you know. And uh, what happened is, is I started getting the things off the list, 
And I kept coming to AA. And people in the AA kept saying, you have a spiritual problem. You need a spiritual solution to your problem. I thought, yeah, right, buddy. I'd say that, too, if I had everything you've got. If I had your house and your car and your husband and your this and your that, I'd say it's a spiritual program, too. But until I get all that stuff, you know, <laughs> that's really the way I felt about it. And so I kept on my way. I kept, I kept, you know, and God's funny, you know, God. I say God, but I mean higher power. I don't mean to offend anybody when I use that term. It's just the term that I'm the most used to. Um, So I I don't mean to offend anybody. But anyway, my higher power, like, kind of knew how to get me, you know. So he gave me everything off the list that I wanted. And except for one thing, I wanted to be a famous movie star. I didn't quite make that one yet. Don't come up to me after the thing and say it's not too late. It is, you know, <laughs> you know, so, so I got pretty much everything off the list that I wanted and I was not okay. And so then I married my last good idea and I turned my will and my life over to him and then he got fired from his job. And I was like, you know what, God, that's really not funny. Yeah. And I had more than three years sober um, and um, <clears throat> he got fired from his job and then. I had um, I had this um, I had this moment, right? I got everything that I thought would make me okay, and then I had one of these moments. This was like this was a spiritual moment. It went like this: It goes, if things keep going like this, I'm gonna have to have a drink. I'm gonna have to, because I can't take this anymore. I got everything that I wanted, and then my head said, I'm gonna have to have a drink. You know, and um, I didn't think about the Cindy Lauper girls just want to have fun times. What I saw, if I took this next drink, is I was where I was going is I was going to be homeless on the streets pushing a cart. And um, I'm really more of a lodge girl, you know what I'm saying? I didn't think that would work out so well for me. So, uh, so I did not want I I did not want to take a drink. And then the next thought was, if things keep going like this, I don't want to live. And I meant it. I did not want to live this way. And um, I didn't think things were going to go so well for me, you know, between me and God, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't really want to kill myself. So I went to the Monday Night Women's Big Book Study, you know. And uh, and uh, I went there that night, and they called on me because I don't know how they do it, but they always know when you're ready to crack, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know how they read that, but they do. And so they called on me that night, and uh, I started crying at the meeting, and I was like, I don't get it. I do not get it. Uh, I haven't had a drink for more than three years, and I'm more messed up now than I was when I got here. I do not understand. And uh, this lady came up to me after the meeting. She said, you're suffering from untreated alcoholism. And I was like... (laughs) I didn't say this to her, of course, but I, I was like, I don't get I go to meetings. I've got, I, by this time, I had gotten a sponsor in AA. I had gone through the steps. You know, I had done all of this stuff, and, she was, and I had commitments, and I, you know, I had done all this stuff. And she goes, you're suffering from untreated alcoholism. She said, if you want help, I'll help you. And um, so I went to her house. Uh, she said, come over tomorrow. And I went to her house. And so, oh God, um, I went to her house. I had this blue folder with me, and in the blue folder, I had pictures 
of all my ex-boyfriends. And uh, I was going to tell her my sad story, right? With pictures. And then this was... <laughs> that was my plan. And uh, I want you to know... I did not get that folder open, you know. She uh, she did all the talking, and I did none. And uh, we started reading out the big book. And uh, she uh, she wanted me to go to a meeting every day. I thought that was kind of fanatical, since I had more than three years of sobriety. But here's the deal: is none of my good ideas worked. Every single thing that I thought would fix me from the inside out did not fix me. The hole on the inside of me. Every single time I got whatever it was on the list, the hole on the inside of me got bigger. And I kept hearing in Alcoholics Anonymous, "You have a spiritual problem, and you need a spiritual solution to that problem." And when we started reading that book, that's what started happening. Is I came to understand that whether I take a drink today or not. I have alcoholism, and I have alcoholism every single day, and I need a spiritual solution to that problem every single day. And I want you to know, when I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was like one of these happy pink cloud newcomers. I loved AA. I loved to be here, you know, and I'm sure there were some people just wanted to strangle me. Uh, but now I'm here for more than three years. I've got alcoholism. It's on the inside of me. See, before it was like, as long as I don't take a drink, I'm okay. I'm not the problem. The problem is the drinking. And if I would just not drink, then I'm okay. Well, three, three, more than three years later, I'm not drinking and I am not okay. You know, and so the problem now is inside of me. Now, when the problem became inside of me, I was not happy about being in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was not happy about all the crap that she wanted me to do, you know. She wanted me to go to a meeting every day and get a bunch of commitments and do written 10 steps and help people, you know what I mean. And I just wanted to be normal. I just want to be normal. I don't want to do all this crap, you know. And, uh, and I was like... I pray, you know, and she goes, Pam, prayer is good, but all I care, I can't hear a word you're saying because your actions speak so loudly. So all she cared about is, what are you doing? And um, so she got me active in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Alcoholics Anonymous became my number one priority. And um, I still continue to pray, and what I tried to do is I tried to make, I did, in my mind, I'm, took my prayers and tried to make them into action. So I would get on my knees every morning and I would say insincere prayers of gratitude out loud to God. Thank you, God, for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you, God, for making me an alcoholic. Thank you for the steps. Thank you for the meetings. Thank you for service commitments. Thank you for my sponsor. I wasn't grateful for any of that stuff, you know? I didn't like my sponsor and she didn't like me, you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't mean it, you know? But I did it every morning and every night. And then I took a whole bunch of actions that I didn't really want to take. Because my sponsor said, you know, Pam, every single time you go to a meeting, especially a meeting that you don't really want to go to, that's a spiritual action. And she said, God was at every meeting. And, uh, and I was out of good ideas, so I was hanging on. And I, I believed her, you know, and I finally trusted somebody. And I, what happened is, is I conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. Not an alcoholic and an alcoholic. 
And uh, she asked me to not do all these other things for one year and to work the steps. And after I worked the steps, to look at these other issues and see what I still needed to deal with. And I did that. <sighs> Only because I was desperate, you guys. If I'd have had one more good idea, I swear. If I'd have had one more good idea, I'd have done it rather than do- doing all this stuff. And so I did those insincere prayers of gratitude. And then I would go to meetings and she'd go, Pam, you have to tell the truth at meetings. And the truth was, I don't want to be an alcoholic and I don't want to do all this crap. You know, I'm like, how's that going to fly? You know, and she goes, well, you can say that. But at the end, you just say, but you know, based on the experience in the rooms, that if you are willing to do these things, that that you will stay sober. And that's it. That's the only hope that she gave me. Not that I would get what I wanted. Not that I was going to be happy. Not that I was going to anything. Just that I would be sober. That's it. And so I started doing that stuff, and I would share at the meetings, and I'd be like, I just want to be normal. I don't want to do all this crap. I just want to get up in the morning and work out with my husband and go to work and come home and make dinner for him and watch TV and do it all over again tomorrow. I don't want to do all this crap. And uh, people who didn't know me, you know, come up to me, pat me on the back like I was new, you know, just keep coming back. And I thought, I could take you, you know. <laughs> you know. I didn't hit anybody, though, just so you know. And, uh, and uh, so I, I went through, through doing all this stuff. And then after a while, I'd taken all these actions I didn't really want to take and trying to work the steps and do all this stuff, you know, my, things started to change a little bit. Then I got the a, what I considered to be the AA dream. And the AA dream for me was, okay, I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to be sober in AA. My husband is going to go to Al-Anon. We are going to become that AA couple. And all the parties will be at our house, you know. And I'm, it's incredible how shallow I can be. Uh, anyway, so uh, that was my dream, and it sounded really great. But my husband wanted nothing to do with it. He was he was really po'd that I started. I changed up the whole thing and started going to all these meetings and all this stuff. And he was not happy, nor was he on board with any of this stuff. And um, I remember I was going to take my four-year cake at my mon- at a different Monday night meeting. I was going to take my four-year cake at my Monday night meeting. And uh, he was supposed to give it to me, and he no-showed at the last minute. And I can't tell you how heartbroken I was. I was completely heartbroken. Here's the good news of Alcoholics Anonymous, though. If you are active in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you will never have to go through anything by yourself. And um, so one of my sober sisters was there that night, and she stepped up to the plate, and she gave me, she gave me my cake that night. And um, I don't remember what she said when she gave me my cake, but I remember what happened to me. And what happened was my heart changed. My heart changed from, I don't want to do all this crap, to, I've been given a gift, and my the gift that I've been given is sobriety. And all of the stuff that I do in Alcoholics Anonymous, I do to cherish this gift that I've been given. I don't know about you guys, but I've been given a lot of things, and I've never taken care of anything. But this one thing 
this one thing I have taken care of. And all the meetings that I go to and all the service commitments that I keep and all the steps that I try to work and all the commitments I do to try to work with other girls, I do that because I want to keep the gift that I've been given. And my heart has pretty much stayed that way the rest of my sobriety. And it didn't happen overnight. I want you to know it was a lot of insincere prayers and a lot of actions I didn't want to take. And then my heart changed. You know, not, it didn't like, wasn't pink cloudish is all I'm saying. Is I had to work for that. And I, I guess I assume that I want to be sober more than I want anything else because that's what I did. And um, so I ended up, uh, I worked those steps and uh, I ended up, getting divorced from that fella and uh, and then some you know um, my sobriety date is November 8th uh, 1992 so I'm 20 years sober so a lot of things have happened so yeah yay God that's a miracle I'm telling you and um, a lot of things have happened since I've been sober um, I got out of the Navy, my dad passed away, I got divorced. That's a lot of loss to go through and not, and, you know, not drink over. And, um, and then, you know, AA be- really became my life, and um, I had this thing happen. I remember it was my birthday, and um, my birthday's in May. And, uh, oh, actually, Mother's Day. Mother's Day comes first. It was Mother's Day, and I was about six years sober, and I was trying to stick to a budget. So I'm not going to send mom flowers on Mother's Day because I'm sticking to the budget, right? And uh, this, in this, you know, it's like you got to send your mom flowers, you got to send your mom flowers. And I wasn't, you know, like real clear about intuition or self-will, you know, at the time. But it was like, you got to send your mom flowers. And I'm like, I'm sticking to the budget. I made a commitment. I'm sticking to the budget. Well, this, this won out, and I used the credit card, and I sent my mom flowers on Mother's Day. And, she called me. She loved the flowers. And I always sent her flowers. I don't know what the big deal was that year. But that year, it seemed like it was a really big deal to her to get the flowers. So I sent her the flowers. And then my belly button birthday is May 15th. So it's right after Mother's Day. And uh, I, I was never estranged from my mother. I always talked to my mother. My mother did not care. I mean, she cared about how I behaved. But she loved me no matter what. That's the kind of mom I had, you know. And uh, so I was never estranged from her and always kept in contact. And it was my birthday, and I was doing something weird that day, and um, I hadn't talked to my mom. And uh, it was finally, it was like 9 o'clock at night, California time, which is 11 p.m. at night, Evansville time. And my mom got a hold of me, because we didn't have cell phones back then. I know you young people are shocked. But uh, we did not have cell phones back then. You know, if you weren't home to get the message or the phone call, you didn't get a talk. So my mom finally got a hold of me at 9 o'clock that night, and she said, well, I just want to make sure I got to wish you a happy birthday on your birthday. And I was like, oh, yeah. How could I have forgotten how important that is, you know? How could I have almost missed that call? And then um, a couple of days later, I got this call that mom had had a heart attack, and she's in the hospital. And now my mom, 57, she's fine. You know what I'm saying? I knew she was fine because she's young and she's always been fine. So I didn't hop on a plane and go running home because I didn't actually know what was going on. And I didn't have any money. And uh, so I prayed about it and I kind of asked God. I'm like, God, what what should I do? You know, because I think mom's going to be okay. And the answer was, 
Your mom needs you home now while she's sick. She doesn't need you home once she's passed away. She needs you home now so that she that you can let her know how much you love her. And so uh, I charged a, 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 a trip or whatever, and I went home, and, and uh, mom was in the ICU, and I spent, um, you know, spent time with her, and um, she got moved out of the ICU into her own room, and I went to a meeting, and I stayed on her couch that night, and I woke up the next morning, and I was tired, and I was grouchy because I hadn't slept well, and it was a hospital, and all this kind of stuff, and my sister was supposed to be up there, my younger sister, who's always late, no matter what, you know. She was supposed to be up there, and she was not there, and I was grouchy. And Oh, did I tell you she had a newborn baby? Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, so she was late, and... Um, I finally, I just left. Now, there's a rule in my house. You never leave anyone alone in the hospital. Never. And I left. And um, I got a call, and they said, we need you to come back up here. So I went back up, and they took me into this room, and there was a bunch of people in there that I didn't know, and I didn't know why they were there. And the doctor came in, and he started talking to me. He goes, well, this is what happened, and then this is what we did, and then we did this, and we checked this, and, and we couldn't bring her back. And then he kept on talking. And I'm like, what? I was shocked, you know? And I have to tell you, I was not, like, particularly impressed with the fact that I had come home and that I had spent the night there. And I, I had taken some actions, you know what I'm saying? I had done some things. All I could think about was I left the hospital. I left my mom alone in the hospital. And I, was, I felt so guilty for that. And uh, I didn't talk about it because I didn't know how to talk about it at the time. And um, here's what happened is, is I ended up staying back in Evansville for about 30 days. And because um, we were shocked, you know, now it's just me, my brother and my sister. And uh, mom was only 57. I mean, I, there was no way I thought anything was ever going to happen to her. I thought, oh, she's getting sick, so now we're going to have to start paying better attention. We're going to have to start taking better care of her. But I never thought she was going to pass away. So what would happen is every morning when I would get up, I would have just this incredible pain right here in my gut. And so there was a 7.30 a.m. Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. So I'd get up every morning and I would go to the 7.30 a.m. AA meeting. And I would look for a newcomer to please talk to me about whatever is going on with you. Because I can't take it. That's the only relief I got for me is you. You know, so I was there looking for newcomers to talk to, and some of the old-timers were there, and I told them about what was going on with me, and I stayed sober through that, and uh, I tried to help my family, and I came back to San Diego, and, um, you know, it took, but it took a long time before I was able to deal with what, with the fact that I left, and I remember I started, I started doing uh, uh, nine-step stuff, I've done a lot of nine-step stuff, which has really changed which has really changed everything. And um, so I'm going to go a little bit out of order. I'm going to go ahead and tell you about what happened with the mom thing. Finally, um, I started talking to my sponsor about my mom. And she said, Pam, why don't you write a God letter? Dear God, make sure my mom gets this letter. So I would write that, Dear God, make sure mom gets this letter. And I say, Dear Mom, I never would have left. I never would have left 
if I'd have known anything was going to happen to you. I would not have left. I thought you were okay. And I don't know how many times I had to write that letter. You know what I'm saying? I had to write that letter a bunch of times before I could get on the other side of it. And, you know, if I had the choice, I would do things differently today. But things happened the way that they happened, and I have to assume that they happened exactly the way that they were meant to happen. And, you know, when I talked to the old-timers in AA about it, they told me it happened exactly the way it was supposed to. And I have to, you know, I have to be okay with that. Now, as a result of that, I have a brother who has a lot of health problems. And last time he was hospitalized and I went home, I only, I did leave the hospital. I left the hospital to shower and have dinner and come back. But other than that, I don't leave. I'm staying. You know, um, and I have gotten from being able to be with him and walk with him through some of the stuff, you know, I've been able to be a good sister to him. And I don't mind. I don't mind at all. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I get to have that gift to be there. And um, a couple of other things happened to me. Um, uh, well, here's the thing. I didn't tell you guys I'm adopted. And uh, I was adopted when I was two days old. And I found out when I was five or six, right before I started, uh, right before I started grade school. And um, my mom told me, my mom and dad told me, and they told me because we had other cousins that were going to ride the bus. And they were afraid that the cousins might let it leak out that I was adopted, so they didn't want me to find out that way. So they told me. And how they told me was, they said, you know, we got to pick you, but we got stuck with your brother. And uh, <laughs> uh, so that didn't work out well for my brother. And, uh, <laughs> And then, uh, and then the other uh, thing that they said to me was, don't tell anybody because some people might not think you're as good as they are. So I had a secret. Had a secret, five years old, keeping a secret, not going to let anybody find out who I really am. And, um, and, you know, I didn't have, like, this great mind that saw things, you know, from the positive side. Um, like I said, my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, I didn't say this, but my mom was a compulsive overeater. And alcoholism, in my opinion, ran our life. Um, we never had any money, and uh, the house was always a mess, and mom worked two jobs, and dad was really sick. And I just thought that the good kids got to go to their real moms. And the not-so-good kids, the second-class or third-class citizen kids, got given away. And I built a story around all of this stuff based on a little kid mind. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and what happened is that um, when I was 17, my dad told me who my biological mother was, and it was a relative in the family. And... Uh, I was grateful for my, for my mom and dad, but I still had on the inside all of these old ideas. And you know that part in, uh, in the big book, it talks about we live defensive and guarded. You know, I was not letting anybody find out who I thought I really was, which is I really thought I was white trash. I thought uh, if God really loved me, he'd put me in a family where they had a clean house, um, 
things were taken care of, and education. Those were the kids that God really loved. So I don't even know I'm walking around with this stuff, right? It's just I have been hiding it so long, I don't even know. And um, so what ended up happening is I... um, I had this moment where my head said, you need to forgive Betty. So Betty was my biological mom. Now, I'm a well-trained sponsee, I want you guys to know, so I didn't immediately call Betty. (laughs) For one thing, I thought my sponsor was going to tell me it wasn't all that great of an idea. So I was like banking on her, you know, and uh, so I called her and I said, hey, I think I I need to call Betty, I need to forgive Betty, and she said... You're right. Call her now. And I'm like, ah, what? Where is the God letter? Where is the 3, 7, and 11? What? She's like, I didn't say any of those things, but I was thinking of, you know. Uh, so um, I called Betty, and uh, I said, Betty, it's Pam. And she said, I've been waiting 38 years for this call. And... Uh, The next thing that she said was, I was a bad mother when I had, when I gave you up for adoption. In that moment, I felt all of the regret, all of the remorse, all of the judgment and criticism that she felt for herself because she was an alcoholic mom who couldn't take care of her kids. And in that moment, my heart changed. And my heart changed from forgiver to forgiver for what? She gave me a gift. Although I, although my family had alcoholism too, there was never any drinking in the home. I always had a place to live. I always went to school every single day. I was always well dressed. Well, not well dressed, but I was always had clean clothes. You know, all of the things. She couldn't have given me that. She could not have given me that. And she gave me to a family who really wanted me. They really wanted me, and they could provide for me better than she could. And in that moment, I was like, forgive her for what? She gave me a gift, you know. And um, that's God, you guys. Because of myself, that is not who I am. I'm a victim through and through. I will tell you my sad, sad story over and over and over again. I will never see it from a spiritual side, you know. But thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God for a higher power that loved me and understood me and took care of me when I didn't understand and uh, my heart changed. Now, I did not, her and I did not come, become best buds, but I did go home and spend some time with her. And I, I have eight half-brothers and sisters. And at the time, you know, I had not, it hadn't been that long ago since I had lost my mom. And it was just me my, my, me, my brother, and my sister. You know what I'm saying? And now I got all of these other people. And now I got, like, this huge family that loved me and wanted me. When I never felt like anybody wanted me because I was adopted. You know, and so, so that stuff happened, and it wouldn't happen but for Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I am not, on, on, of myself, I am not that kind of girl, you know. Um, I remember um, after me and my, after my, after my adopted mom died, I got involved with this guy, and I thought he was the one, you know what I mean? I thought we were going to get married and have babies and be happy in AA until we died, you know what I'm saying? And and then he broke up with me. You like that? He broke up with me. And uh, 
I really wanted to make him look bad. And hey, hey I just want you to know, I wanted to tell, tell all of you guys what he did and mm, make him look bad. And I had this little thought in there that said, if, if you do not take responsibility for your part in this relationship, you will drink. Thank you, God, you know, for that. It's only from being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, working these steps, telling the truth to my sponsor about who and what I really am, even when I don't look good and I still don't look good. I want you to know I was praying my butt off on Thursday for people at work because because I still have alcoholism is all I can say about that. You know what I mean? And, and uh, I'm like, God, really? I'm supposed to be the spiritual breakfast speaker on Sunday morning. <laughs> Don't you think I should be doing a little bit better than this, you know? Um, but I'm grateful to sober women in Alcoholics Anonymous who taught me how to have some grace and dignity. And they told me, have grace and dignity, Pam. Pray for grace and dignity. And when that guy broke up with me, I didn't want to pray for grace and dignity. I want my boyfriend back, you know? And my sponsor would be like, pray for grace and dignity. I'm like, ugh. And the only reason I prayed for grace and dignity is because I couldn't figure out a way to do anything else that I wouldn't look like a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys would have known I was being a jerk. So, if I could have figured out a way to do it and not look like a jerk, I would have. But I couldn't, so I prayed for grace and dignity. You know what I mean? And, um, and I really, truly believe that the only reason that I do what I do is I definitely don't have all that much virtue or anything like that. But I want to be sober. I really want to be sober. I have really been given the gift of being sober in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a different higher power. I have a different God than the one that I had. I'll, and I'll end with this, you guys. All right, so I always hear, God won't give you any more than you can handle. You know, I hate that. I hate that thing. So God's up there doling stuff out to you and to me, right? Well, Pam can handle being adopted. Let's let her be adopted. Let's let her mom and dad die before she's 35 years old. She can handle that. You know, I don't, I don't think that's it, you know. I, 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 I kind of have, have this understanding that there are some universal laws that are in place here. And they're set up on the concept of love. And as long as I stay within those laws, I get the consequences of the actions that I take. When I step outside those laws and I'm selfish, I get the consequences of those actions too. God's not up there punishing me for horrible things that I do. There are consequences to the actions that I take. And as long as I try to stay within His will, His will, I things go really, really well for me. And when things get tough, if I ask God, God will help me through anything that is going on in my life, big or small, no matter how petty it is. God never judges me. God loves me unconditionally, exactly the way that I am. He will allow me to deal with the consequences of my actions until I'm ready to ask him for help. And I'm grateful. I am really grateful for that kind of thinking in my life. That's it. Thanks.